Hey, good morning. Glad that you are here. I, I think you are in for a super, super cool time. I'm telling you, the guy that you're about to meet is just a remarkable guy. And the guy that you're going to meet on stage is the same guy I'm hanging out with in behind stage. He's just a cool guy. And you're going to have a blast uh, hearing his story. I want to say hi uh, to all of you that are in overflow right now. Thank you for doing that and for being part of that. And then also for our Santan crowd that are watching this on live stream. We're just so thrilled. And especially if you're there visiting at Santan, this is going to be a very cool, cool Sunday. Uh, here's the thing. You probably already know some stuff about about Nick Foles. Let me tell you a couple things that you may uh, not know. He played at the U of A. I believe that's an Arizona school. I'm not sure. Uh, he played well enough uh, that by his second year in the pros, he replaced a guy by the name of Michael Vick, which is an amazing thing because Michael Vick is a remarkable athlete and this guy uh, ended up with the starting job. Uh, he tied last year a 50-year-old record. So he is one of only two quarterbacks who've ever played in the NFL who threw seven touchdown passes in a single game. He is the only quarterback in the history of the NFL to have a 149 or higher quarterback rating in two consecutive games. Uh, in his second year in the NFL, he gets uh, taken to uh, the Pro Bowl and ends up being the MVP of the Pro Bowl. I just think that you and I are having the opportunity to get in early on a guy who probably the sky is the limit uh, what is going to happen in this guy's life and you and I've got him here today so do me a favor let's give him a welcome to Nick Foles Dude, it is, it is so fun to have you here today. And I guess I, I'm just kind of uh, intrigued with the idea that there are actually athletes from U of A who play something besides girls softball. I, uh, I thought that was the only sport uh, going on uh, down there, but apparently not. So very cool, man. Glad you're here. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. And actually, our, I think our basketball team was kicking some butt this year too, yeah. right? Actually, I, I probably can't give you too hard time because we were talking, and, and while you were at U of A, you beat us two out of the three years that you were there, and uh, that's a little painful, but okay. Yeah. yeah, It's painful losing one to ASU, so I, <laughs> I, I hold that with me, but we did beat them more than I lost, so that was good. Hey, I since you and I have gotten a chance to talk, I've heard stories about you that I, I just had no idea, and, and I think... Uh, Everybody here would love to hear some of the stuff uh, that leads up before U of A and then before the pros. Uh, one of the stories that I was pretty intrigued about, uh, you're a senior in high school. Uh, you guys are playing a game fairly early in the year, but it's, it's kind of with your rivals. It's a team that you guys had to beat. Uh, you're in this game. Uh, one of your teammates falls over uh, during the game. His heart stops. Tell us that story. Yeah, this is a you know one of those moments in your life that you experience that you'll never forget. Uh, Matt Nader, who uh, was a dear friend of mine, uh, he was one of my old linemen, uh, number one lineman recruit in the country, committed to the University of Texas. Uh, it's the third game of the my senior year. We're playing a team, A&M Consolidated. It's the game of the state. Friday night lights, the whole shebang in Texas, like stadiums filled over ten thousand people, and that's a lot for a high school game at the beginning of the season. Well. We have a 15-play scoring drive. We score a touchdown. And I always go to my lineman after, 
and I, I you know, I talk to them. I, I, you know, say, hey, great job. You know, I got to keep those big guys going. They block for me. They do a great job. Well, I slap Matt at five, and I keep walking. All of a sudden, I heard a thump, and I turned around, and Matt was stiff on the ground, like legs stiff, everything. His heart had stopped right there on the field right after the drive, and we're all freaking out, like, what do we do? And it's one of the most emotional things. His parents came out of the stands, and his, both his parents are doctors, and they gave him CPR right there in front of us. And, you know, like, that's his parents, and he, dad's banging on his chest, saying, Matt, come back, and... You know, we had another one of my teammates, parent, he came, He was a doctor, came down, put the defibrillator on his chest and brought him back to life. Now, Matt, number one lineman recruit in the country, he's alive today, he's doing great things, but he wasn't able to play football anymore. Mm-hmm. Right then and there, his life had changed. But it's just one of those things that happens in your life that, you know, I'm so happy he's still around to do great things. Hmm. You know, and in, in some ways it's kind of a life lesson that, you know what, the, the biggest thing in life isn't necessarily uh, football. There, there's more to it than just that. You you originally committed to Arizona State, and uh, then through some serendipitous uh, around the way, you ended up at a different school. So, uh, tell us that story. How how did that happen? Yeah, we've been talking. We've been going back and forth on this, and I, I tried to explain to him: You're 17. You're not very intelligent. Wasn't. Made a decision. No, I'm just kidding. I know there's some out there. ASU, whatever. Uh, you know, made a decision. Uh, my senior year, I had shoulder surgery. Um, tore my throwing shoulder. Fourth game of my senior year. Played 12 games with my labrum torn. And uh, at the end of the season, we had a new. The ASU had a new coaching staff. And I made the decision that it was, you know, I wasn't their quarterback. I was going to go elsewhere. Ended up at Michigan State. Um, Coach Antonio, who's a, he's a great man of God. He was the guy who brought me in. Went there, you know, went through the season and just decided, hey, you know what, this isn't where I'm supposed to be. Had to talk with my parents, sat down with my dad, and he's like, hey, you know that if you leave, there's a chance you'll never play again. I said, I know that, but I know in my gut I need to go elsewhere. Well, wanted to go back in the state of Texas where I'm from. No one offered, no one wanted, they didn't have space. They just didn't have anything. Well, Arizona contacted me and said, hey, we don't have a scholarship right now. But you can walk on, and if you're the man, if you're the player we think you are, we'll give you a scholarship. So I said, I'll, I'll, I'll go. And uh, went there, and earned, I, I was a walk-on. I remember paying that check for that first, you know, tuition. and that, 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 I mean, that was bad. That was, that was tough. I was like, I better, I better gain this. But two weeks into camp, Coach Stoops came up to me and said, hey, you're the guy we thought you were. You're in the scholarship. Hmm. See, I think, I think that's good for us to hear. Because I think sometimes we just think, hey, guys like you that have the abilities and the giftedness that you got, that, man, everything just goes easy. Here you are, an NFL-quality quarterback, and yet there was a point in your life where people looked at you and said, no, uh, not interested. And just the idea that says, hey, sometimes you can't listen to the crowd. Sometimes you've got to be able to look in yourself and have an honest self-assessment and say, hey, how has God created me? What what am I really good at? And even if nobody else sees it in me, I've got to stay true to what God's put. I just think that's an amazing learning lesson, maybe for some young people in this room right now who have had people say, hey, you're not big enough, you're not tall enough, but maybe even for some adults who right now are struggling with others not seeing their capacity. Yeah, and I always look at the crowd and I see the kids, because I was y'all. I, I was in your shoes and I was watching uh, different athletes speak, and 
you know, the biggest thing from being a kid is like, I always believed I could do great things. I always believed I could make it. But there was just something in me. Even when people said, hey, dude, slowest dude I've ever seen. You know, I, I have two I have two of my teammates that I see right here. I caught them out of the corner of my eye. They'll tell you, like, he's not the fastest. We clown about it. Yeah. I wasn't the strongest. Can't jump the highest. Don't have the strongest arm. But I can, I have, they're all good enough to where I believed I knew, you know what, when the ball's in my hand, I'm going to make a play. I'm going to be able to do great things with it because I believe in my heart no matter what anybody says, that I can do it. And that's great. Like, when you're kids here, like, don't let ever let anybody tell you you cannot do something. You know, believe right here, hey, even though they're saying that, I know I can be great. And that's where you stay at home late at night. You're shooting hoops when everybody's asleep. You're on the field running when everybody's, you know, doing something else, partying with their friends. You're working hard. And then all that will pay off down the road. I promise you. Hmm. Talk to us about being drafted, because, I mean, none of us probably have ever gone through something that's that nerve-wracking, sitting on pins and needles, waiting to find out if you're even going to get picked up uh, by a team. Tell us what it's like for that day. It's very emotional. Draft day is very emotional. Uh, I remember sitting at home. I did it at home. I was just in socks, basketball shorts, T-shirt. I didn't want cameras because I knew it was going to be emotional. I was with my family. Had a couple of friends over and we were just hanging out waiting. And it, it, I was I was pacing back, you know, around the house doing everything. I tried to play golf in the morning, three holes in. If any of y'all are golfers, it's a frustrating sport. I couldn't do it. Hmm. Uh, and we're just waiting. And then all of a sudden, there's a big bang and the power goes out. Like while we're watching the draft. Like, are you serious? Like, is this is this a joke? Like, I looked around like, mom, is this like what's going on? And uh, so we're looking around the house, uh, looking for candles, flashlights, everything. And uh, my phone had fallen out of my pocket, and I guess it was on vibrate. I don't know why it was. So, so, so let me get this. It's draft day. You've got your ringer turned off. That's got to be a U of A thing. <laughs> I'm just going to ignore him on that one. <laughs> and uh, my sister picks up my phone because I was looking for a flashlight and said, Hey, Nick, uh, a Pennsylvania number is calling you. And it was in the third round. So I picked it up, and it was Howie Roseman, who's our GM, and Andy Reid, who was my head coach my rookie year. Hmm. And right then and there, and I, Philadelphia was the only team – that came to work me out at Westlake High School, where I'm Austin, Texas, and they were the only team to take me on the visit. I did the Senior Bowl Combine and all that stuff, but that was the only team that showed interest after that. So mm-hmm. I was watching them when they were on the draft board. So when I got that call, I was like, they might be drafting me. And Coach Reed said, hey, you know, we're, we're about to come up. Would, would you be all right with me drafting you? And I was like, yeah, yeah I think I'd be okay with that. <laughs> I, I wouldn't mind that at all. And, but at, at that moment, you know, you, your life really flashes. Everything you've done, you know, when I was y'all's age as a kid, you know, staying outside late, doing stuff. You know, when all my friends were partying, I was shooting hoops, and they're like, man, this dude, all he's doing is playing basketball and running around, and he's slow, but he still runs. What's he doing? My dad was walking. He was down below me. He was walking up stairs with a flashlight, and, you know, my dad and I are very, very close. He's pushed me my entire life, and... You know, at that moment, you know, he hugged me when I was on the phone. And, you know, something that's so special and so surreal that it'll stick with me forever. Because mm-hmm. at that moment, you know, everything my parents had done for me my entire life to provide for me, I was able to, you know, sort of pay it back and, you know, make the, they're They're proud of me no matter what. But it was a special moment because everything mm-hmm. I'd ever done sort of came right then and there. And I, I was just so thankful. 
Okay, so you brought it up. You're you're drafted in your rookie year. You're playing for Andy Reid. Then Andy Reid is out, and they're bringing Chip Kelly in, the former Oregon coach, to be the coach. I'm just going to be honest. I'm watching. I'm watching the style of ball I've seen you play at U of A. I'm looking Chip Kelly, Oregon, and I go, they're going to trade Nick Foles. That's, that's just all there is to it. He's he's going to be somewhere else next year. And uh, and yet, in the midst of that, you, you've you actually blossomed in that offense. You, you've come about. So tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, Coach Reed's a great coach. Um, it was a great coach for me in my rookie year, but it happens. And when they brought in Chip, you know, the first thing I think is like, wow. I, mean, I remember playing against Oregon. You know, two of my defensive teammates right here sitting, you know, they've gone against Oregon. They can tell you it's a tough defense, you know, it's a tough offense to stop. But it's like, man, those quarterbacks are always running. I'm not really running quarterback. What's it going to be like? And that was the first split second. But then I switched back to that belief, like, no matter what, I'd already bonded with my teammates in Philly. I wanted to be with my teammates playing the game. No matter what offense I had to run, I wanted to be with those guys. So I was like, I can do this. Chip, I talked to Chip on the phone, you know, he wanted me there. Hmm. Everybody thought they were going to trade me. Chip wanted to keep me there. And, you know, just kept working, kept believing. And I got an opportunity to play, and I learned how to run the read option. I'm not going to run an 80-yard run, but I could run 20. I've run 20 a couple of times. Ran for over two, 200 yards last year, which is big for me. And, and it wasn't it a lineman that caught you after 20 yards, if I remember? No. I, I mean, I, 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 I might have just tripped and fall, you know, fallen over. I don't know. <laughs> But uh, it's just one of those things where, you know, that belief, 99% of the people probably in the nation probably is like, this dude's gone. Yeah. And But I, I, you just sort of zone it out. And you just you stick to the, your family around you that believe in you. And, you know, I just stuck with my teammates and I kept working. And it's one of those things where, okay, I played well last year, but does that mean I'm going to play well this next season? Absolutely not. A lot of guys have a good season and then they fall off the next year. So I try to just honestly, like, have amnesia and forget about everything. Like, I don't remember what I did last year. I'm reminded with different things, but then I'm like, I got to get a lot better because I didn't. I can do a lot better than I did last year. So it's a process. Okay, so you go to the Eagles. Michael Vick's the quarterback. I mean, he's the man. It, it's obvious. I, I think you were third on the depth chart when you go. And then through circumstances, through moments, you start getting opportunities to the point that last year you become the starter. Walk us through that. And, and walk us through uh, what it's like you know, competing against a guy like Michael Vick and all that? You know, everybody knows who Mike Vick is. Um, great athlete. Been through a lot in his life. Um, good, great friend of mine. Um, been speaking with him today, just sort of texting with him, just catching up. I really think a lot of Mike, and he's grown a lot as a person. So it was great for me to go in. He was the franchise quarterback. I knew that. I went in and just told him, like, hey, I'm not here to step on toes. Like, I really just want to help you get better, and I want you to help me get better. And we're both basketball players, too, so we bonded on the hardwood. And we're like, all right, we sort of have similar liking. So right off, right off the bat, we bonded. And it was one of those things where I went to work every day. I didn't say much. I said what I needed to, and I, I worked hard. The big thing as a quarterback, you got to prove it to your teammates on the field before you speak. That's what I believe. So it was playing, played well in the preseason, played well enough to become the second string behind Mike. And injuries happened to where I played a little bit as a rookie and played okay. We didn't win a lot of games. Second year, you know, my second year last year, uh, we started out the season hot, and then just stuff happens. Injuries happen to where uh, I had an opportunity. Definitely had some ups, had some downs, but at the end, you know, I was able to, you know, when that opportunity arose, I was ready because I had prepared. 
Last year, you end up setting or tying an NFL record. You're one of two quarterbacks ever to throw seven touchdown passes in a game. You and I were talking about that, and you said, Lynn, you know, what, what people sometimes forget is two weeks before that, I'm playing Dallas. I didn't have a great game against Dallas. As a matter of fact, you got knocked out of that game with a concussion. Talk to us a little bit about this kind of up and down thing and, and what that's, you know, like. Hey, it's like life. Not every day is going to be a good day, but you just have to have that mindset. You know, we've got to be optimistic. Well, I went against the Giants at New York. We beat them. Tampa, we beat them, played well. Played against Dallas. I'm a Texas boy. You know, I want to beat the Cowboys. Can't stand them. (laughs) Uh, It's like ASU. Can't stand them. But uh, I got my teammates all happy. I'm pumped. You know, I, I love these guys. But, uh, you know, I didn't play well. I played one of the worst games of my life. Um, got knocked out with a concussion on the right sideline, held the ball too long. and Yeah, I was reading something in Sports Illustrated about needing to slide more often. Yeah. Maybe not, maybe not sliding more often, sliding more efficiently. I know not all y'all probably see me play, but if, when I slide, it is very ugly. And I, But my teammates keep me very humble. We watch it on film. We slow-mo it. And it brings a lot of humor and excitement and happiness to my teammates, so that's why I do it. <laughs> but I'm going to try to get better at it. But uh, so Lousy game against Dallas. Lousy game. My mom and sister are actually in the stands and see it like right there. You know, It's not easy for my mom to watch something like that where my head gets taken off. And uh, I'm thankful she was there because both her and my sister were great that week. They sort of nursed me back to health. You know, you can't really do a whole lot when you have a concussion. I was actually at home. We played the Giants the next week at home. We lost. We didn't play well. And then I was given an opportunity to start against Oakland. And I played, you know, I was unsure what would happen. You come off a concussion, what's going to happen in this game? Like, can I still, like, I cleared all my tests, but you still question, like, last time I played, I got knocked out. I got to really just play sharp. And we ended up beating, I see a, a Raider shirt. I'm surprised you wore that. But, uh, <laughs> I, uh, Could you stand up? Could you just stand up? Yeah, where you're at. There you go. We, I'll just give you a hard time. I love yeah. you, man. We are so thankful that you helped this guy set the NFL record. That is just totally cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say what my stats were that game. We just won the game. And, but the coolest thing about that was, I remember just sitting there on the sidelines and just saying, like, thank you. Like, this is amazing. Because everything that happened, you know, if that game was sort of what got our team going to where we finally had, we had new coaches and everything. And finally on the field, our system was just coming together. We were bonding. And that was a really special moment during our year. You know, from the outsider, just kind of watching, and I I get it. I'm not in the locker room. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you as a fan, you know, the NFC East had been kind of in this deadlock, and, every you know, nobody was breaking. It seemed like that was the week that two things happened. One was that all of a sudden the Eagles took control of the NFC East and went on their run that ended up in the playoffs. But it also looked like that was the day you really became the quarterback of the Eagles, that your teammates and all the fans all went, he's the guy, he's the man. And so... Cool game, and I'll remember it uh, for a long time. Talk to me. Talk to me about you're going in uh, to a team. There's tons of veterans on this team. There's guys who've got lots of experience beyond you. You're one of the youngest guys on the team, and now you're the quarterback. Talk to me about how do you establish a rapport and just even a sense of trust and leadership with other players on a team like that when you're one of the young guys. And that's a great question. And it's just like any business. I think you really just have to prove to them who you are. 
and I was always told, you know, to be a raw, raw guy and everything. And you know, everybody's differently. I think the most everybody's different. I think the most important thing is be who you are. Don't try to be anything different. So what I did was I didn't. I, I was Nick Foles. I, w- I didn't change anything. I didn't try to be anything different. And I went to work, and I went on the field, and I, I took big hits, but delivered the ball on third down. I did things to prove, like, hey, now this guy can play. And, you know, we had a great camaraderie on the team. I got to know the guys to where when I stepped in the huddle with all these veterans, I looked them in the eyes and told them to play. And I told them, like, hey, just give me a little time. This will work. Just give me time. I will get it down there. I told the receivers, hey, you better be ready for the ball. Hey, if that guy's five yards off you, I don't care if he's bailing. You better beat him. And it's just one of those things where, as a quarterback, it's like if you run a business or anything you do, you got to give your employees, you got to give your teammates confidence in themselves. You got to push them harder than they ever thought because they're like, I'll tell you what, my receivers know I don't care who's over them. They better get open. And they love that because, hey, they know, hey, Nate's going to sling that ball. We better get open. And it's fun. It's almost like backyard football. And then the guys are all confident. Everybody knows Oregon. You got to go fast. We're going like crazy. So you get in good shape playing in the offense, too. It's, It's a lot of fun. Hey, I want to back your story up because we we talked a little while about the whole ASU-Michigan State thing. But what we didn't say is in the midst of that, which was really in some ways one of the darkest moments of your life up until that point, it was also one of the most spiritual moments of your life. God was doing something uh, in a time that wasn't fun by any means, and yet it, it actually had some of the most the deepest impact on you. So walk us back to that a little bit. Yeah, um, Michigan State, that was, uh, y'all know the story, but I'm going to go a little deeper. First month there, both my grandmothers, my great-grandmother on my mom's side and my grandmother on my my dad's side passed away in the first month. I was recovering from a three-fourths labrum tear in my throwing shoulder. Uh, I'm a Texas boy in Michigan. It's a different environment. It's different. You're, You're away from home. I know there's probably college students in here that have gone away to where there is that homesickness. You deal with that. And I was, you're waking up at 6 a.m. for all these workouts. You're going to practice. You can't throw like you want to. So my confidence was taken down to nothing. I had grown up in a Christian household. I, had, I knew who Jesus was. But the, my faith really hadn't become my faith. It was just sort of an awareness. And I remember one day just sitting in a car by myself. And I just started crying because I had hit rock bottom. And I remember asking God. Like, I, was just, I spoke to God. I told him, every, told him everything I felt. Like, and I, I told him, I was like, God, I trust you. I trust you. I don't know what's going on in my life right now. I don't know why all this is happening. And I know every, there's people, a lot of people in here have gone through this. But I said, I trust you, and I know you're going to be with me, and you're going to guide me through this time, because I can't do it on my own. And I remember saying that prayer and feeling a, a sense of comfort, almost like a little bit of my confidence was coming back. He was giving me that confidence. Well, then I go home. I find a Bible my mom had put in my bag. And I had read the scripture, but I'd never really gotten into it too much. I opened it up and just started reading it. And it gave me this sense of comfort. And I just started remembering, you know, memorizing Bible verses. And, you know, these guys can tell you, you're lifting 415 pounds on your back, squatting at 6 a.m. in the morning. You are going to be saying Bible verses. Please, God, help me lift this weight because I'm about to break my back. But, you know, that was the moment that year in my life that, it's my favorite year because that's when I really, that faith became my faith. And that's where hmm. Jesus Christ really entered in my life and grabbed me at that moment. Hmm. 
See, I think that's huge for us to hear, Nick, because the reality is I guarantee you there are people in this room today who are at that moment. They're at the darkest moment of their life so far. And in that moment, you know, you're going, hey, why did I get laid off? You know, why did they pick me? Or, hey, how come my marriage is a mess? You know, and I've been trying so hard at it. And in the in that moment, we all have to make a decision. Am I in this moment when life is not turning out the way I thought it should? And this isn't a lot of fun. Am I going to get angry at God right now? Or am I going to turn toward God right now? And I just love the fact that in that moment, you set the example. You went, hey, this is this is a moment for me to figure out and turn toward God. And I love that expression. And, and then my faith became my faith. Uh, out of that. I just think that's a huge thing for some of us to hear today. Talk to us about uh, the story about how you met your wife. Yeah, this is this is a very emotional uh, story, and I'll, I'll, I'll hold it together best I can. Um, so Tori, my wife, we got married April 9th. Um, nothing that we planned happened. Uh, we went to Arizona together. I met her, um, and she, my sophomore year, actually dated my roommate and my best friend. And I know everybody's like, wow, like, that's really weird, Nick. Like, that's pretty messed up. <laughs> Trust me. At that time, like, you know, it was bro code. Like, no, like, don't do that. But uh, I got, it's crazy. God works in crazy ways. And it, it's, it's beautiful. And I see it now that I'm married to her. Like, and we both saw it. It's amazing that I developed such a great friendship with her because she was dating my best friend. They dated for like a year or so, and they stayed friends. And we had the same group of friends that always hung out. She played volleyball. Volleyball football players would always hang out. And I was always very protective of her, though. I don't know why. I just always was. I always made sure everything was okay. Like, if anybody bothered, you know, for some reason, I don't know why. Well, then I left college. She's a year younger than me. And we stayed in touch like once a month, just texting. You know, we were friends. Blinders were on. Like literally never thought anything of it. And there was just a moment where we were, we were catching up to where I was like, I really, you know, have feelings for this woman that I didn't know I had. Hmm. And she felt the same exact way at the same exact moment. And now, by, long... by now, they had broken up, right? Oh, yeah. So that was sophomore year. This is like three and a half. Because I this thought is... that was another U of A yeah, thing. No, I was no. just like, no. all right. This is like three years down the road. This is like... Tennessee, U of A. I, no, yeah. wait. All right. I wouldn't do that. I, okay. No. Okay. He, David's still my best friend, so we're still great friends to us all, and he's very happy for us. But it's one of those things where a lot of stuff happened. I keep you here all day with this. I'll try to summarize it up, but... You know, we ended up getting engaged in February, and then in uh, April, we were married. And you're all like, well, why did this happen? I'm like, that's pretty fast. Like, well, this is what happened. Tori was diagnosed with POTS syndrome, which I, y'all probably don't know what it is. We didn't know what it was until she got it. It's postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And it's autonomic nervous system disorder that affects the blood pressure, heart rate, um, your digestive system, and basically, I just, you know, her mornings, she can, it's hard for her to get out of bed. She has no energy. Her body's very weak when she's, you know, lying, standing. Like when she's standing, her heart rate's 120 beats per minute. And it just causes a lot of fatigue. And it's just one of those things where, you know, we've been dealing with the last 10 months, she had to stop working. But, you know, we we're trusting in God to heal her. We met amazing people on the way, but we got married, or we got engaged in February. We were at the Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale, and one weekend I had her family come in. My family came in, and we surprised her because she thought we were just doing doctor's visits. We got engaged. Very special moment. Then I'm going to go to April. So we, we were in California. I was training out there. Her family's out there. 
and uh, we had moved in together. We weren't married yet. We had moved in, and we had we were struggling because we're like, we know we're not following Christ right, and we know we're not you know representing Christ right now. What do we do? We had prayed about it. Well, I had a close friend, John Demeter, who's with Athletes in Action, um, was in California. Was like, hey, I'd love to come by and speak with you. Catch up. Comes by the house. She's doing a treatment inside the house for pots. While we're outside, I closed the windows on purpose so she could not hear the conversation. It's guy conversation. We're talking. Well, we sit down, and he's like, he, he, he's like, hey, y'all's relationship, y'all's love for each other, that's Christ-like. That's amazing. I'm so happy for y'all. Him and his wife, his wife had dated his best friend, and it was the same story. Crazy. Um, so we had this conversation. It's all good, but he's like, hey, Nick, I got to tell you something. And I hope, you know, this doesn't affect our friendship. And this is where he was my brother in Christ. I said, Nick, I love you, and this is why I tell you this. You're out of bounds. You're not following scripture. You know, y'all should not be living together right now before y'all have that bond of marriage. Okay, so I, I, I want to stop you there. Because I, I think this is a cool moment in your life. Here's a friend who loves you enough to come have the hard conversation with you. And he knows there's a chance you're going to be ticked off. He knows there's a chance you're going to go, look, dude, I, I, if, if that's what you're going to say to me, then we're done. And yet he cares about you enough in the Lord to come have the hard conversation with you because he knows you need to hear it. And I, I just think that's a big deal for some of us because here's my guess. My guess is that even as we're hearing the story right now, there's names going on in our mind of people that we know that need someone. And we keep saying someone ought to say something to them because they're, they're living out of bounds. They're not doing what would honor Jesus. Someone ought to say something. And we're just now figuring out someone is us and that some of us need to leave this place today and make a phone call and just say, Hey, can we get together for a coffee? And that we need to love that friend enough to say, look, I know this is a hard thing I'm about to say to you and I'm going to push in your life a little bit, but I love you more than I love our friendship. And I'm willing to risk it to say to you what you need to hear from me. What incredible courage he had in that moment. So here's my million. What did you do? after the conversation and like i said it's not just like oh yeah let's do it it was it was tough it was an hour conversation and you know it hit you in the heart and i it makes you really sad because you you know i'm a christian i follow christ i profess that and i knew at that moment i wasn't but then it's like how do i not like i gotta live with her this is the girl i'm gonna marry it's the girl i love more than anything in the world and she's sick and she can't do things on her own and i have to be with her and we had this conversation and at the end of it i was like you know, I'm a marriage girl. We had, we wanted to plan a wedding and do all that. Like, you know what? I'll marry her. We'll, we'll get married right now. It gives us all the time. We'll focus on, we'll do things to glorify God. We'll do it the right way. And then we'll get it. We'll have a ceremony down the road. Well, uh, after I leave, I'm good. I'm going to go in and talk to Tori. She's finished her treatment. Her nurse has left. And I walk inside. And like I said, the windows were supposed to be closed. <laughs> Tori's a woman. She sort of undoes it a little bit. Peeks her head out while she's doing the treatment. And this is this is why I love her. I walk in and I said, hey, uh, Tori, I got to talk to you about something. She said, I know. She's like, let's go get married. And I'm like, what? Like, how did how'd you? She's like, I, I heard your whole conversation. And which is a good thing. I didn't say anything bad or anything, which was good. I got to watch myself. But uh, those women. But... Uh, 
But she's like, I, I can't do it right now. I'm very weak. So we literally, and this is sort of the crazy thing, you can literally go online and type in all the information for a marriage certificate and then set an appointment and show up to the you know county clerk. So that's what we did. We literally, the next Wednesday we scheduled an appointment, but that wasn't the story. Sunday night, she had all these treatments. She had side effects of aseptic meningitis, which to sum it up is Sunday night she didn't sleep one minute. She didn't sleep for over 24 hours because she had the worst headache ever to where she threw up all night, had nothing in her body, to where we had to take her to the emergency room and she spent about four hours in the emergency room and then had a headache for the following week or two. But So we're scheduled to get married Wednesday. This is Monday. Tuesday, her body recovers enough to where Wednesday we go pick up this the papers, the marriage license, and we have one of, uh, on her parents' side, their family friend, marry us in a very intimate setting to where, you know, my parents were at a charity event and we couldn't arrange for everybody to get together, but, you know, what Tori said when she said, let's do it, she said, let's glorify God and let's do this. Let's do it to glorify God. And that's something that's really special, something we prayed about, to where John came in my life at the right time when I needed him, God brought him there to give me that message to where my wife was like, let's do this. And now we're married, and you know I, I locked her up. She's mine. I, you know she's in, you know she's not feeling well, well enough to where she's in Philly right now. She has to wait for me there. But and she already told me that the house is rearranged when I get back because we just moved in. So I don't know what it'll look like. But you know it's a beautiful thing, and I thank God every day for her because she's the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life. Hmm. I just want to speak honor to you, Nick, because here's the deal. You, you had 10 good reasons to be living together. And, and at the heart of it, here's a gal you love and you're just trying to take care of her and nurse her back to health in the moment. And yet, in the midst of that, you said, despite 10 good reasons, the reality is this is probably not honoring my Lord. This isn't, this isn't a good representation of Jesus Christ. And you chose in that moment, even though you had 10 great excuses... To do the thing which honored God the most. I just want to say honor to you for doing that. And I think, I think that's big for us because I guarantee you we've got some couples in the room and they've got three good reasons why they're living together. They do. And what they really probably need to do is leave this place today and go have a conversation that says, Hey, despite three good reasons, this probably is not real honoring to our Lord. It's not the right thing to do. If we really are Christ followers, let's go make it right. And yeah, we want the big wedding and yeah, but, but you know what? Let's make this right. And they may need to go online and fill out some forms. Uh, they, they may need to find a pastor from Cornerstone, do a quickie wedding, you know, but whatever that is in order to honor God, uh, despite whatever good intents they have. So thank you for being honest and sharing that moment in your life and honor to you for doing it the right way. And I hope we get to hear about your wedding when that part happens on the deal. Thanks. Uh, help us out. One last thing. I know, I know that there are some Christians in here today who've been very, very casual in their life. And that whole Michigan State story about God taking you to the hardest part of your life to get your attention, that probably resonated with some of them. Some of them are going, man, I, I, I hope I don't push God that far. I don't ha- hope that God doesn't have to take me to the worst moment of my life for me to get serious about my walk with Jesus and make my faith real. But I know there's some people in this room who just haven't even had God in their life at all. They just haven't really had a real place for God. And the reality is, 
they're trying to find things in their life that they're going to make them happy and satisfied. They're thinking, hey, if I can, if I can just get that corporate office, if I can just get the bigger car, if I can if I can get people to applaud me, and, and so here's here's the thing: Why does a guy like you you walk out into stadiums and people applaud? You've got an NFL contract. You're making money that we're not ever going to make. You've already, in your short career, had success that we're never going to have. You've already done all the things we think we want to do. And yet, at the end of the day, you're saying, even when you have all those things, you're going to want Jesus. Help us understand that. It's very simple, uh, but yet so complex. Christ changed my heart. He changed my life. The Bible is the only book that can change your heart. I don't care what you say. It's the only book in existence that can change your heart because it's the Word of God. It's the truth. Hmm. And that year, that year in Michigan State, when I, faith became mine, I wasn't sinless. There's only, you know, Jesus is the only one who can do that. I've sinned. I've fallen short. I've gone into valleys since then. I've made mistakes. I've had hard times. But Christ is the one who lifted me out of those hard times. He's the one who washes your sin as white as snow. And he's put so many amazing people in my life to help my faith grow. You know, Coach Ed, when I was at Arizona, we had Bible study every Thursday. My strength coach. Kicked our butts throughout the week, but we praised God on Thursday night. Hmm. Jason Avant. Wide receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles, now with the Carolina Panthers. Great man of God, great story. We did Bible study in the morning with, you know, Harold Carmichael, one of our strength coaches. We have a great group, then Bible study on Thursday. But he's put these people in my life to help my faith grow to where it's given me an opportunity to speak in front of y'all, to speak about what God's done in my life. And I want to tell you, like, it's not easy. Because when you say, I'm a Christian, I, I'm a follow Christ, it's going to be hard. There's going to be temptation. There's going to be struggle. There's going to be loss. But with Christ, he will give you the strength to overcome those things. Without him, you will crumble. But with him, I'm telling you, you know, he's going to keep you strong. He's going to keep that heart full and he'll get you through all things. So I just want to thank you all for having me and just say, you know, all glory to God. Hmm. Thank you, Nick. Thank you. Thanks so much, man. Do me a favor, grab a seat real quick. We're going to tell you in just a moment, because I know there's a bunch of you that want to meet Nick and you want to get his autograph. We're going to tell you how to get that done in just a moment. But before we do that, here's the deal. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that today ends up being more than just a good conversation for you. I'm hoping that life lessons come out of this moment. And some of us in the room who would say, hey, I'm a Christ follower and, 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 and I believe in Jesus. But the reality is if we were being honest today, you'd say, hmm, I haven't been really serious about my faith. I, I can't say that I have really lived in a sold out way. And here, I'm just going to ask you, and this, I just want you to think about this as you go home today. Do you have to have a Michigan State experience in your life before you get serious about Jesus? Does God have to take you to a point where you're completely undone and you're you're totally at the end of your rope before you'll finally turn and say, okay, God, I get it. 
I need you in my life and I need to be serious about you in my life. Or could you learn the lesson of a guy like Nick Foles today and just say, look, I get it. I get it. This needs to be real in me. And I need to be serious about following Jesus. There are some of us in this room. And man, you you are doing your very best to get the next thing. The thing that's going to make you feel better inside and kind of take that, that part of you that aches and just says, you know, I'm not there yet. And you're thinking, boy, if I can just get to the corporate office or if I could just buy the bigger house or, or maybe, maybe if I could just meet that next sales quota and people would apply. If I could do that, I'd be better. And yet the reality is everything you've done so far still left you needing more. And what does it mean to you today that a guy like Nick Foles, who's already done more than you're probably ever going to do, already had more acclaim, already earned more money, already accomplished so much in his life, said to you that when you get there, you're still going to want Jesus. Because that spot in your life, that gap in your life, isn't shaped like a car. It's shaped like God. And you're still going to want Him in your life. And my question to you is simply this. Do you need to spend the next 20 years of your life getting stuff, doing stuff, before you figure this out? Or was today enough? It's possible, it's possible in this room that some of us don't need to leave and go think about it. It's possible that some of us went, I get it. I I get it. If Nick Foles needs Jesus, I need Jesus. And the cool part about this, guys, is, is that Jesus has been waiting for you to have that conversation. It's as simple as finally saying, God, I'm done trying to plug the emptiness of my life with a little more sex or a little more drugs or a little bit more corporate success or... I get it. It's a God-shaped hole. Fill the hole. And so here's what I want to give us is the opportunity to have that prayer for anybody in this room who'd be ready to have it. So if you'd bow your heads, I'm just going to lead us in a simple prayer. And it's it's up to you. It's not me. It's, It's up to you. If you're ready to pray that prayer, then just pray it quietly in your seat with me. It could change everything today. And that prayer would go something like this. Dear Lord Jesus... I get it. I get that there's something that I've always needed. There's a place in my heart that's always ached just a little bit. And I get it now. It's a God-shaped hole. It's, It's a part of me that has always longed for you. And that there aren't enough cars and there is not a big enough house to fill that hole. And so I'm just asking you right now, would you come into my life? (laughs) Would you be my savior? And God, I look, I've done stupid stuff. I've done stuff that embarrassed you and was wrong. I've sinned. Just like Nick said, I've sinned. And so I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to save me. I'm asking you to fill me with your presence right now. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer...
in the seat back right in front of you, there's a card that looks just like this. It just says, I said yes to God. And before we come and give you the instructions about the line out there, just take a second. There's, there's just a couple tiny lines on the bottom. We want to know that you made that type of decision. Fill it out. And if you look at every one of the exits, there's a table that says yes. It's a yes table. Just rip that card off the bottom. Set it on the table on your way out. Just be your way of saying, hey, I, I figured it out today. I said yes to God today. You know what I think would be doubly cool? <laughs> if you're one of the people that's going to go out in line and stand there for uh, Nick's autograph, I, I think it'd be cool for you to take the other half of the card and hand it to Nick when you get to him. And just go, hey, I just want you to know your story changed me today. Your story made me rethink about my life and I made a decision. To, I, he'd be thrilled. That's the whole reason he was here today. Because he wanted you to hear this. You and I get to do something really, really cool. We get to learn from a guy named Nick Foles today.